0: So you're listening to episode 76 of the GamerNode Show. I'm Eddie Inzotto, your host and editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com. We are back from Gen Con. I took a trip out there with a couple of friends from here in the Brooklyn area. I drove out there. I had a great few days, saw a lot of games, didn't see everything I wanted to see, which is basically the general consensus of anyone who goes to Gen Con that you're not going to be able to see everything because there's just too much. Um, I wanted to talk to you about what I saw, what I did, and my overall thoughts of basically everything that happened out there. Um, It was a really good time. It was my first Gen Con. I've done the E3 thing. I've done the PAX thing. I've done the, the Comic Con thing. And now this is the first time I've ever hit Gen Con. So despite the similarities to going to a convention, going to all the events, seeing all the booths, hanging out with friends, making new friends, the experience was different. And, and just excellent. I really had a great time. Um, so I, I headed out there a day early on Wednesday with, uh, actually, Emerson Matsuuchi is a, a member of my local game group, the designer of Specter Ops and now the big hotness Century Spice Road and the Century Golem Edition, as well as Crossfire with Plaid Hat Games, uh, the other one being with Plan B. Uh, So he and I and our friend Alex, who is a uh, a part of the management team at a fantastic game store and uh, after school board gaming program, the the Brooklyn Game Lab with two locations in Park Slope, Brooklyn, a great place, but uh, the three of us, we jumped in the car, we headed out early on Wednesday morning, uh, had a, a long trip but uneventful, got into Indianapolis around 630 got into our hotel, and basically got poised for the next few days trying to figure out exactly what we wanted to do, where we wanted to go. Um, That evening, went looking for a press badge, found out I couldn't get it till the next morning, so I had to get up early the next morning, headed over to the convention center, grabbed the press badge, was surprised that there was a pretty long line at the press room already, so that was sort of foreshadowing things to come and the general feel of Gen Con with people lining up to get into places. Um, From there, headed out over to the the main convention hall, got in there first thing Thursday, there was a huge huge line of the uh, the VIG, the very important gamers, those who get in an hour before the show floor opens, and as I come to find out this sort of convention setting, you know, it's, it's not quite a trade show, um, and it's closer to something like a Comic-Con in that even the way people talk about the main hall, they'll call it the vendor hall as opposed to you know the show floor or, or the exhibitor hall because really this event was very much about publishers selling their games, which I guess if you're involved in the board game community for a long time, you understand that these conventions are essentially where people go really to buy new games as they're coming out and uh, get first crack at the new hotness. But that's something I didn't expect. And I talk about this because when those doors open and everyone flooded into the show floor, it was always a mad rush to get to the booths that they wanted to get in line for and buy whatever the the limited quantity game was that the that publisher might have. So the first day we saw a big line around the Plan B booth because Plan B was giving away Emerson's game Century Spice Road but in the other form the Century Golem edition form where the art was replaced with a more cartoonish style and the components were different with crystals colored crystals instead of the cubes you know representing gemstones that you're trading as opposed to trading spices which is what Century was in its initial release same exact game same exact mechanics beautiful beautiful art great components a beautiful new playmat so plan B was giving away 40 copies to the first 40 people to go to the booth and uh, they were also selling the game There And they had limited quantities of that. So people were rushing to get Century Gollum Edition especially, as well as that playmat. Another one was Clank in Space over at the Renegade Games booth. Um, That was announced mere moments before the show, it felt like. I think it was the day before. But um, that was announced, and that was a huge, huge draw the entire weekend. People were just circling the Renegade Games booth, trying to get their hands on Clank in Space. Um, also, Renegade Games had another game, uh, Ex Libris, which has been very popular. I actually didn't get a chance to get over there and check that out. I didn't even get into the Renegade Games booth. It was just too much of a mess the whole the whole show. Um, everyone was, was flooding that booth, and that's great for Renegade Games. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't great for me, but, you know, next time. Um, another one that was big was Fantasy Flight. They announced, again, right before Gen Con, they announced a new edition of Twilight Imperium. So Twilight Imperium 4 was announced right before Gen Con. People were storming the gates to get over there and get the fourth edition of twilight imperium ti3 has been around for quite some time and it's the kind of game that people keep on their shelves and bring out for a massive gaming event universally lauded for its gameplay and uh, fans of that or gamers who don't have ti3 and wanted to see what it was all about were getting in there to jump in on the new new hotness now, as for me, what I saw, I didn't have a really strong plan the first day, I wanted to go in, walk up and down the aisles, see what I could see, but um, a couple of things that I hit that first day that really stood out was I went over to, I didn't really go to the huge, you know, I, I didn't hit Fantasy Flight and Asmodee very hard, but I I wanted to find all of the smaller, interesting games, as well as, basic, I mean, I hit a lot, but I didn't hit everything, so... That being said, one that I did see was uh, Quinet Games, which I learned how to pronounce, and I saw Agra. Agra is a game uh, designed by Michael Keller with art by Michael Menzel, so great combination there, Michael Keller having designed La Granja and uh, Michael Menzel doing the art for many games like Stone Age and, and his own game Legends of Andor, uh, Cuba, um, and plenty of others, but... um. The game is beautiful, and it's sort of a worker placement game with a bit of area control elements to it and a lot of uh, resource trading, and the game has a very interesting flow where you're trying to get lower quality goods to convert into higher like upmarket goods, and there's sort of a, a flow chart on the board where your workers go, as well as certain bonuses you can get to enhance your gameplay in the future and certain goals that you need to meet and a really interesting method of producing goods on your own personal player board where you're adjusting your efficiency in the production of certain goods as compared with other goods so you can sort of specialize on your board if you know that you want to go for one good you increase the efficiency of creating that good while reducing your efficiency of creating another good that is opposite it. And I think that's really interesting. I didn't get to most of these games I didn't get to sit down and play. There just wasn't enough time, but I tried to get in there and get an understanding of what was going on. And we have tons of videos up on YouTube. I have about 20 videos up now with more to come. But Agra at Quinted games looks really fantastic. That's one that I'm definitely going to try to get on hand here and uh, do a full review on in the future. Um, I did stop over at the Cosmos booth. Cosmos, you know that we've uh, covered some of their games before. We just talked about the Exit series. Well, they have three new Exit games in the works, and I I believe those are the Forbidden Castle, the Forgotten Island, and the Polar Station, if I'm not mistaken. Um, These are due out later this year And interesting thing about these is what wasn't on the box, a lot of people had a little bit of confusion with the exit series in choosing what order to play them in, knowing which one was sort of the introductory, the best introductory game to play to get familiarized with the system. Um, These new ones, they have a difficulty rating right on the front of the box so the players can pick out what they think they'd like to tackle first. I think that's great. We're going to get those in and take a look at them for sure. They had, um, not on demo or anything, but there was the box for The Legends of Andor, The New Heroes, which we're super excited about. Uh, they had a couple other games. They were demoing the older Andor games. And of course, Emotep was there. But um, one that I did get to take a look at a little bit more closely was Kerala. I think that's how it's pronounced, it's uh, a tile-laying, tile-drafting and tile-laying game with with not really much of a theme, it's sort of an abstract game, but your playing pieces are these sort of ornately designed Indian elephants, and the tiles have some of that design on them, and there are a number of colors in the game, each tile is a color, and a player takes their turn, pulls the number of tiles from the bag equal to the number of players, drafts one of those tiles and places it in their playing area. And they have to place the tile next to a tile on which one of their two elephants is standing, and then move that elephant to the new tile. And you can only place around where your elephant is, and you can put any color, but the goal is to put large groups of colors together, and um, in the end only have one group of each color and score the elephants that are depicted on the tiles in each of those groups. Anytime you have a second group, unless it matches your player color, that second group would be flipped over and not scored. And then as you're playing, you can build new tiles on top of old tiles, maybe to connect separate areas of color, to create a larger one, um, maybe to do something else, but that's probably the only reason you would do that. Um, you can pass twice in the game, and you get points for not passing. So it's it's pretty much an abstract tile-laying game, but it, it looks like it's a nice puzzle and a lot of fun. And that's one from Cosmos that they were trying to show off there at Gen Con. And definitely looks like it's worth a try. So that was, that was nice and interesting to see. I love tile-laying. I'm not a big fan of abstract-type games, but... I think the drafting of the tiles and and the placement and the puzzly spatial nature of it uh, is really nice. You know, I like those spatial tile laying games, kind of like Carcassonne and Isle of Sky. Now, there's no cities and stuff that you're putting together, but just puzzling out where to place something next to the the tiles that you already have in your tableau is great. And obviously Quadropolis, which I have a review coming for, um, is one of my favorite city builders, and it has to do with that tile laying and spatial adjacency, really cool. So that's what I saw there at Cosmos, looking forward especially to the, the new Exit games and the new Andor, but Carola was cool as well. So a couple of other things I saw, and I think at this point I'm just going to kind of run through a few of the videos that we've already produced. I was going around getting sit-down demonstrations of games at the publishers' booths. Uh, from their demoers or from designers in many cases, just to show off some of the games as if you, if you didn't make it to Gen Con, had been there right alongside of me. I was trying to make that experience for you, so if you go check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gamernode, you'll find a number of videos where you can basically get the Gen Con experience as if you just sat down at a table with Ignacy Trevicek, for example, or Ryan Lockett for his new game. So things like that. Really fun, really good to to get those out there for you because it's a great experience, and I wish everyone could be there. But um, some examples of that are Photosynthesis, a new... This is another sort of abstract game, but with a fantastic theme. uh, Photosynthesis... And this is a game where you are planting trees around sort of a circular, hexagonal, really, board, um, trying to get your smaller trees to grow larger and trying to grow your trees closer and closer to the center of the board in order to earn more points as the game goes by. And there's a sun tile, not a sun dial, a sun tile that moves around the board as the Sun moves around the landscape and trees cast shadows on other trees and prevent them from growing so there's this interplay between players around the table placing their trees to gather sunlight and also potentially stop their opponents from getting sunlight on their trees so that was photosynthesis from blue orange games looks really cool the art is fantastic um, the the trees, they're three-dimensional cardboard standee trees, and each player has a different color and and type, different species of tree, and when you look at the board, it just looks absolutely beautiful. Definitely go check out our video on that. That's one that we have a demonstration video of uh, over at the Blue Orange booth. Wonderful. I uh, went over to North Star Games. I got to take a look at Vegas Wits and Wagers. Which, Wits and Wagers is a fun party game. It's a trivia game where you don't actually need to be the smartest guy in the room. You're gambling on your other friend's answers. So you're getting a question that nobody knows the answer to, theoretically. And uh, writing down your answer, putting them face down, betting on whose answers are probably going to be the best. Flipping them over, and then looking at what everyone said, and then placing your bets again there. To, uh, to try to earn the most on everyone's trivia answers. And in Vegas Wits and Wagers, the additions that they've made to the game really boost the, the fun factor of, of the Wits and Wagers sort of experience. Um, it is an expansion, so you'll need one of the base boxes, either Base Wits and Wagers or Wits and Wagers Party, but that's one that's really interesting. They just funded on Kickstarter during Gen Con. I also saw North Star Games mobile game, their mobile version of Evolution, which was a fun game to play. You're trying to build up your species. It's basically a card-playing game where you're evolving your animals to better eat food and survive uh, later into the game and uh, outlast your opponent and score more food, which are essentially points as the game goes by. So that's a mobile game now. That it's, It is a board game, and we're gonna be taking a look at Evolution Climate here in the future, but that's something that I also saw. Uh, I definitely stopped by the Ravensburger booth, which is a company that produces a lot of uh, great Euro games, and obviously the Quest for El Dorado is another game that was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres, which we just talked about in the previous episode of GamerNode. I sat down and got a demonstration of that, that video is up on YouTube, great little deck-building sort of adventure race type game, trying to get to the end and reach Eldorado before everyone else in the most efficient way, using your cards to hack through the jungle and buy new cards to make that a better and more easy trip. That game looks really great, we haven't played that, but um... It was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres, so clearly there's something there, and it it looks great. We just got that in. I'm going to be producing a review. It's on my shelf right now, and I'm uh, excited to dive into that and get you that full review. Um, We also saw Vegas the Dice Game, uh, which is a re-implementation, a new version of Las Vegas, which is an old game that was in the Aliyah line with Ravensburger, and this is basically a... Just a straight-up dice game where everyone around the table is rolling their dice and then placing sets of matching pips from those rolled dice without changing them at all, placing them on the corresponding casino. There are six casinos. Placing them out turn by turn and then trying to hold majorities in each of these casinos at the end of the round to get the first crack at the most money and going through multiple rounds and trying to have the most money at the end. Super, super fun game. I've played that before. Loved the experience. We got that one in. We're going to be reviewing the new version. Comes in a funky little square cubic box that looks really cool. Doesn't fit on my shelf in any reasonable way. It's literally sitting on top of my bookshelf alone as a giant die, but um, they're selling that now at Target reaching the mass market, so you can pick that up at Target at any time. Definitely recommended as a uh, sort of preview spoiler to my review. Um, We saw some other stuff there at the Ravensburger booth that we're not going to be releasing just yet, but they also had Notre Dame, the 10th anniversary edition. Didn't get a chance to play that, and that was really what was going on there, but it was great going over there, great uh, seeing those guys at the Ravensburger booth. Really nice time there. Oh, and uh, we also have a video of Vegas on our YouTube channel, a demonstration of that as well. Um, another one was, well, another couple of games. I went over to the Bezier Games booth, and I saw Whistle Stop. Designer Scott Caputo sat down with me and demonstrated Whistle Stop, which is a train game. It's sort of a, it's another tile-laying pick up and deliver style game where you're trying to move all of your trains from one side of the board to the other and the game starts with sort of an empty frame for your board as if you were doing a puzzle and just finished the edges and as you go through the game you're drafting hexagonal tiles and placing them out in the next available open space to move your train forward from node to node picking up goods at each of them, and then delivering them to towns somewhere in the center or at the end. And even along the way, some of those tiles will come up not as rail tiles, but as towns. And you're sort of blocking off your opponents by putting a tile in front of them to move your train onto a node along the rails, with the rails all going in different directions on each of the tiles, so it's another little puzzle of how to direct those rails, and only one train can be on a node at a time, so that's where the blocking your opponents comes in, and it's sort of a, a, an interesting puzzle of how to get your trains from the beginning to the end, picking up those goods and dropping them off at towns along the way. Really interesting game, people were loving that throughout the con. Um, also saw The Palace of the Mad King Ludwig. Oh my goodness. Now, I don't know if it's going to be as good as, as I think, but the game looks fantastic. This is sort of a sequel by Ted Allspatch to The Castles of the Mad King Ludwig board game, which is a competitive tile-laying game where each person is building their own castle as a sort of floor plan with different size and shape rooms. This one sees all the players building on the same board, kind of like a Carcassonne, where each square room tile goes next to another room tile that's already out there, connecting doorways of like or, or incongruous colors to earn swan tokens, which are sort of a currency, and then spend those to buy new rooms, place them out, earn bonuses for completion of those rooms, earn points for the number of rooms of each type that they place out, earn points for the, the number of sets of each room type, like one of each room type, that gets you a set, that scores you points, and then, again, taking completion bonuses that are specific to each type of room, much like what happens in the castles of the Mad King Ludwig previous game. There's a lot going on in this game. A moat is continually surrounding the board, acting as a sort of timer, so every palace in every game will be built a little bit differently. There's a really cool system wherein on your player boards, you have six slots, each of which gives you a sort of immediate benefit or, or permanent benefit, and um, you can take tiles and slot them in to earn that benefit or you can take the bonus tiles which are goals for the end game like have the most of this sort of room or have the most of this or the least of this and you can slot those in diagonally into those same slots thus preventing yourself from earning the previously mentioned benefit but giving yourself a specific goal to shoot for that nobody else can see they go face down and earn points at the game end by satisfying that goal and being, you know, the the best at doing something. And that all of that interplay looks fantastic. Then there's set collection involved with the swan tiles, which are not only a currency but they come in multiple different colors and you're trying to gather sets of different colors and you're earning points for how many of those you have at the end of the game. It just really looks like an interesting, tiling, somewhat pointsality game where you really have to think about how you're using each of the available resources and options throughout the game to score points and, and win before the game sort of clocks out using those moat tiles. And it looks great on the table, just a really good-looking game that I really want to get over here and get reviewed for you. Another thing being shown off at the Bézier booth was Werewords, which I got to play there, and then I got to play right when I got back in our local game group as well. Um, that's a really fun game. It sort of combines the werewolf gameplay with, with a word game, um, and it, it's sort of like Insider, which I think was not as good as uh, werewords. I I think I enjoyed werewords a little bit better. What happens is one player is the mayor, and they get a secret word, and then the werewolf is around the table. They see the secret word, and maybe the seer can see the secret word, and maybe uh, an accomplice to the werewolf, I think a minion, can see the secret word. And then the rest are the villagers, and they're trying to guess the secret word by asking questions about it, with the werewolf trying to lead everyone astray, the seer trying to guide everyone toward the correct answer, and neither of those trying to reveal themselves because the, the villagers want to guess the word, and they want to pick the werewolf, and then the werewolf wants to pick the seer in order to, for everyone, respectively, to win the game. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, really interesting game. Definitely worth playing. It's run by an app, so you don't need a sort of manager for the game. You just hit the button on the app, it starts, it tells everyone to close their eyes, much like the previous werewolf sort of apps before it. Um, Some other things, I, I stopped over at the Portal Games booth, got a demo of First Martians from Ignacy himself. We have that video up on the website. I also have a video of Whistle Stop and a video of the Palace of the Mad King Ludwig. You can check all of those out on YouTube and on the website. Another one that I saw was Unearth from Brotherwise Games. We have a video up there on YouTube for that. Really interesting game with dice rolling and placement and trying to extract value out of the cards that are out on the board, either by getting points or getting stones to build monuments that score separately. Really cool, really interesting. We got a copy of that. We're going to review. Stopped by Game Salute and saw Alien Frontiers, 5th edition, Looks just like the old ones, basically. The box is different, the board is a little bit more refined, a little bit better pieces, but that's a, a dice placement game. You're rolling dice, and based on the pips, placing them out on the board in order to gain resources or build on the on the map, on the planet out there. Um, I have a video of that out. Took a look at Sagrada over at Floodgate Games. Dice drafting game, you're building a stained glass window in sort of a Sudoku puzzle where you have to put dice of different colors next to each other and different pip values next to each other, but certain spaces on your grid board have preset pip values or preset colors that you have to abide by, and you have to sort of figure that out, puzzle that out, by drafting dice from the central pool that everyone shares. That game looks fantastic. I'm definitely going to get that game in here at GamerNote at some point, but we have the demo up. Uh, over on YouTube as well. I mentioned Ryan Lockett before. He showed me Klondike Rush, Red Raven Games' newest game. Um, this one was not a Kickstarter for the first time. This is through the regular retail channels, and, and it's available now. This one's a little different from his other games, uh, Above and Below and Near and Far. Near and Far, I should mention, I picked up a copy of and I have it here at GamerNodeHQ, HQ, and I'm going to be getting a review up of that at some point in the future. A nice video. Klondike Rush, on the other hand, is sort of like a bidding game. It, you're 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 in this Klondike Gold Rush, and you're building mines on different routes and. Um, you're, you're trying to hunt down a Yeti, but also score the most points based on where you're placing your mines. Um, different sort of game, but definitely looks interesting. Looks really cool. You've got these little mine figures. You've got this Yeti figure. And you're kind of trying to have a little, little sort of area majority sort of route building thing going on. That's one to take a look at. We have the video up. Ryan explains it better than I just did. So definitely check that out on our YouTube channel as well. Speaking of the snowy mountains, I sat down with Scott Alms and took a look at Dicey Peaks. I have a video there. This is a sort of dice-based push-your-luck race game. You're rolling dice trying to get either climbing icons or camping icons in order to manage your oxygen and manage the amount of space you're moving forward on this mountain made out of tiles. Uh, in order to get to the top three spaces and, and discover the flag at the top of the mountain before your opponents. And as you go, you'll run into obstacles that'll send you back. You might trigger an avalanche by rolling your dice. You might attract the Yeti by rolling your dice. So it's a combination of this race to climb the mountain and push your luck dice as you're climbing or camping to regain oxygen because you can only go so far so fast up this mountain. Really fun. So that was uh, Dicey Peaks, and I have that video with Scott himself. And speaking of Scott, I also stopped by the Gameland Games booth, and uh, we took a look at the newest Tiny Epic game, Tiny Epic Quest. Got a demonstration of that. That's on our YouTube channel. That's a sort of Zelda-like adventure game going around achieving certain quests and getting new equipment and adventuring into these caves and castles and rolling dice, another push your luck sort of game where you're rolling dice and whatever you roll is shared communally around the table. So you might get the symbol that says, oh, you killed a goblin and then anyone who's on a space where there's a goblin kills a goblin. So you're rolling dice and you're hoping to get things that are beneficial to you where you are and not beneficial to people where they are. So hopefully you are in a dungeon or something that requires you to roll scrolls and nobody else is, and you roll a lot of those as it goes around the table. So that's really cool. And you also get hurt equally around the table. So everyone is pushing their luck for everyone else. And um, that's a really interesting concept. I didn't get to play, but again, that's something that's going to be coming in. We're going to be taking a look at that for sure. And I also looked at Tiny Epic... Kingdoms, which is much older, but I have that here, and that's going to be getting a review as well. I don't have a video of that just yet, but I think that might... I may have shot that, I just don't remember if that is something that's going to be going up on YouTube. Definitely stopped by the Simon booth. Took a look at a few games over there with Sean at Simon, and uh, one of which was Rising Sun, we have a video up for that. One of which was Ethnos, which we have a more in-depth demonstration of that game, which looks like crap on the table, but the gameplay is fantastic, and basically that's what everyone will have said up to this point, and will probably continue to say until they either play it and don't care about what it looks like, or perhaps Simon, you know, makes a new version of it with uh, improved art, which would be really cool, maybe some minis, maybe whatever. But anyway, we have that video up, and that game looks really cool. You're basically doing a little set collection and building these war bands to play your cards down to the table and add influence to the different locations on the map and then using your leftover cards and not not using them but losing them to the central pool where anyone else can pick them up so you're trying to manage that hand but play what you want to play to get out onto the board without giving too much to your opponents I also took a look at a couple other smaller games Uh, those will be up on YouTube as well I've got a bunch of videos over there at CMON Uh, I didn't get to check out Massive Darkness um, or Richard the Lionheart or Hate. Those were some that I really wanted to jump into. Also Rise of Moloch, um, the World of Smog, the Rise of Moloch. Those are all ones that I I really am looking forward to and I'm hoping to get in on uh, in a future event. That's something that we're really aiming for. I did drop briefly by the Mayfair booth, and though I didn't, Sit down and play. I watched a game being played of Caverna Cave versus Cave. Looks really smooth. Um, just back and forth, tile drafting and placement inside each player's cave to build up the, the most resources and earn the most points. It's a very distilled version of an Uwe Rosenberg game without the farming aspect, just with that sort of cave room engine building aspect of uh, the original Caverna streamlined down into a two-player only game really cool we're gonna get that one in as well dropped by the tasty minstrel booth uh picked up a bunch of games for review we're gonna have some of those coming up looking at uh games like samara lemuria Ars alchemia the new expansion for orleans uh, Jiraku, which is really cool i actually played Jiraku a bunch of times it's a sort of sort of a trick-taking game it's more like a trick managing game because you don't always want to take those tricks because the winner of the trick scores on the area on which they have their main player piece and they may or may not have majority in that area. Maybe you do and you want them to win and maybe you don't have majority in the area where you have your main player piece and you don't want to win the trick. Um, but there's, there are elements of trick taking... There's definitely area control. It's mostly an area control game. And then there's an action point allowance system as well. Because as you play cards, you take the number on the card and you're able to either drop cubes out onto the board or use the number on the card to manipulate the cubes out there an equal number of times to the number on the card. So higher valued cards are going to let you do more things with your little samurai cubes out on the board or with your main daimo token and change the board state by either moving from one area to another or removing your opponent's cubes from an area in which you have your Dymo. So a lot of different things coming together to create a really interesting little area control card game. I guess is the best way to put it. Area control action point allowance card game with a really terrible scoring track. Uh, I'll talk about that in the review which is definitely coming up. So got a bunch of those games in. We're going to review some of them on the channel. Uh, Stopped by the Greenbrier Games booth and looked at Folklore which looks really cool but unfortunately they were saying they don't plan to have many more copies than what was shown at Gen Con and allocated during their first Kickstarter but Folklore is really cool looking. It's It's a very large sort of overworld map, and the game kind of emulates an old-school Japanese RPG where you're traveling along the map, and then you get down into very localized fights and do little exploration actions in different areas. Um, So that looked cool, but I kind of walked away because I didn't know how available it was going to be. Um, That was unfortunate because it does look really good. I also sat down and took a look at One Deck Dungeon and it's upcoming sequel, One Deck Dungeon, Forest of Shadow. That's a great little one to two players sort of dungeon delve roguelike game where you're rolling dice to complete the requirements on cards that come up and kind of managing what you're putting out there because you can defeat each card or, or, or resolve each card either fully or partially, and if it's partially resolved, you'll take damage and you're trying to get as far as you can through the dungeon and through the deck. So that's a sort of older game, One Deck Dungeon, but the new version, the, the expansion or a standalone sequel to it is coming out very soon, and that's something to look forward to. I'm excited to play that one some more. Um, I got to sit down and play Codenames Duet, which was really hard because me and Alex were not quite on the same page. But uh, cool way to do a two-player version of Code Names. I mean, there was always the possibility and the potential to play Code Names two players, where one player was the spy master and the other one had to pick out the cards. And then you know you're racing against time there. And then maybe you could switch roles. And I I really like doing that. That's cool. Um, this one you're both giving clues. And actually. I'm less excited about this than most people are, and I think the reason is because when I play Codenames, I get into the mindset of the Spymaster, I'm giving clues, I'm constantly looking at the board, and I'm getting ready to give the clues to my teammates, or I'm on the other side and I'm just thinking about what the Spymaster gives me and trying to figure out what he or she wants me to pick out on the board and keeping in the back of my mind previous clues that we may have missed so always focused on my particular job and Codenames Duet demands that you do both and demands that you do them almost at the same time like you alternate back and forth but once you finish looking at the board and trying to guess what your teammate the guy on the other side of the table is telling you you quickly switch and like oh no now I have to know what my clue is so that was actually not as good as I expected um it was fun, but I think I'd rather play regular code names two-player and then like switch back and forth, play a few games with a friend where we take turns being the spymaster. Um, what else? I went over to... The greater than games booth. I played a fun baseball game, bottom of the ninth, you're rolling dice in a sort of pitcher batter duel, and you have one inning to score one run, which doesn't really make sense as far as baseball goes, because either you don't score a run and you lose, or you do score a run and you win, and there's no such thing as that in baseball, because that would be a tie on one end of those two, depending on what the score was. But anyway, that aside, that's thematic Problem aside for a lifelong baseball player, the game was a ton of fun. I, I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna pick that one up as well. Really a lot of a lot of fun playing that. Let's see, another game also from the the development studio that brought us Jiraku, they were sitting on the side of the Tasty Minstrel Games booth was Mo Ideas and they had their game Mini Rails, which is a shortened version of a train game in which you're buying stocks in rail companies or laying tracks onto this little hexagonal board and the game plays in about an hour or less and you still get the experience of, of building these tracks and buying into these, specifically the buying into the different companies and watching the stock rise and fall as each of these rail companies is bolstered versus the other ones. So you're you're fluctuating with your money and building out this train network with all these different train companies and it's really it's really streamlined and I think that's great for people who are into that but don't want to sit down and play a million hour game like like most of these uh, other train games are and you know it's like 3 hours or something but that's a lot for some people this is much shorter and it should from what I could tell get that experience in and, and give you the same feeling, scratch that same itch. So that's that's another one that I definitely want to check out here in greater depth at GamerNode, but something you can take a look at if you're into those train games and, and buying into stock in the rail companies while, while building those tracks. Um, I walked by the Ares Games booth, and they had This War of Mine, which has been adapted from the This War of Mine video game, which was a, a great game representing what it was like to be a regular civilian in a time of war in a sort of Eastern European war-torn nation and just trying to survive. It's almost like a post-apocalyptic game, but with the backdrop of being in a war-ravaged area. And it worked really well as a video game, and it looked very much the same as a board game, and people were really into it. I didn't get the time to stop by and play or even really talk about that, but I think that's something worth looking into if you liked this war of mine or are into that sort of survivalist type game. And then they had Sword and Sorcery, which looks like a classic dungeon crawl, like really dungeons and dragons-y sort of that kinda that kinda nerd wants to play that game, and that's me. Um, you know, someone who's played tabletop RPGs for many years. Um specifically in the fantasy realm sword and sorcery looks like the dungeon crawl that I really want to get into uh, it looked on the table it has a table presence much like descent um, and and much like descent second edition but it seemed to me that there was a greater amount of space to play in in sword and sorcery and each scenario that you're playing seemed to be a little bit grander whereas in descent I felt like They were all very short, like, episodes of of your greater progress through the game. Um, So, Sword and Sorcery looks really cool. I'm going to take a a deeper look at that, see maybe if I can get that into GamerNode for a review. I can't guarantee anything on that one, but that's one that I am personally very interested in, and maybe, you know, maybe it'll show up in my game group and I'll sit down and play it. It's for sure on the Ameritrash thematic end of things, but... um, if you're into that, and I am, uh, I would definitely look at Sword and Sorcery from Ares games. Another one that's interesting um, in a line of games that I've always had interest in but never got to play is uh, from Queen Games, and it's called Immortals. That is the newest take on the, the Wallenstein Shogun series um, with the cube tower and the area control and big maps and sort of an epic struggle between the players. Um, It has a light side of the map and a dark side of the map so that you're competing on the light side of the map until those troops are killed off and then they go to the dark side of the of the map and there's there's competition there so it seemed to add more depth to the basic premise of those previous games and the theme is more of that fantasy realm sort of like medieval hand-to-hand combat, swords, magic, that sort of thing. Um, so different setting than the previous two games and a potentially improved mechanics system, but, um, I mean, at least, at least expanded, maybe not improved. I mean, I have no basis for comparison there, but to me, more interesting, um, maybe because of the theme, but also because of that sort of expanded me- mechanism. Uh, another game that I have a video for, a demo video, uh, was was never on my radar, really anything that I've ever seen, but um, By Order of the Queen from Junk Spirit Games is a cooperative sort of adventure game with fantastic artwork. Players are trying to complete the tasks set forth by the Queen in order to save the kingdom. Um, really interesting. Check that video out. The game will probably either captivate you immediately or not, but it seems like it's a fun little cooperative game that I would really love to play. We're hoping to get that one in for review as well. So I also got to play Magic Maze. I was just walking through the gameplay hall, and some guys were sitting there, and I stopped to look, and they are like, hey, you want to play? Sat down. Magic Maze is super fun. Um, It's another Spiel des Jahres nominee. Uh, You're staying silent while moving all of these four different characters around the board. We talked about in our previous episode, I just wanted to uh, come back and say that this co-op silent game is so much fun and super tense and when you get to stop and flip that timer back over and talk to each other And Figure out what you're doing be like, oh my god. How did you not see that? We're trying to go here and then everyone's like Oh, yeah, I get it. Oh damn. Sorry, and you're tapping this this hey It's your turn. You should move something pawn in front of people It gets to be really funny and there's a lot of laughter and a lot of tension But but just really really a great experience. I like it a lot I thought that during play the mall theme disappeared, and it was, like, kind of dumb. Like, I would have imagined it more in a dungeon crawl sort of setting. But whatever, I guess the that mall theme makes it stand out. But definitely a lot of fun from Dude Games. Uh, I may try to get that one here for review as well, uh, but definitely worth playing. It sort of got the same, a similar vibe, like I said in the previous episode, to Escape Curse of the Temple in that frantic rush, but in a much different way, because you're not rolling dice and screaming and stuff but but just focused on the board and worried that your partners are not going to do what they have to do. Uh, I think I do like Escape Curse of the Temple a little bit better just because of the frantic nature and because of the laughter that comes out of that and in that type of game that's I mean it's, I don't really care if it's strategic or not. I just want that to come out. But um still fantastic and it may appeal to you more than, you know, one may appeal to you more than the other, depending on your sensibilities as a gamer. And that, that's all. It's fine. They're both great. All right, so that's the games that I saw at Gen Con. But what about the experience? I mean, Gen Con is not just about games, but about all the people who you meet there, you get to see year upon year, and any convention or trade show. You know, when we went to E3... I would look forward to seeing all the same people who I saw every year, going out, having a good time, and just reconnecting with friends. So Gen Con's much the same way. Meeting up with those people you only get to see once or twice a year, making new friends, and just having a really good time together. So uh, this being my first Gen Con, I kind of had to go out and and make all this happen. And it was just so wonderful at all these different events. So first of all, I did meet some GamerNode show listeners out there, the the few who are listening. They recognized the show and were really happy to see me. It was great. So if anyone ever sees me out at any convention or trade show or anything with my uh, signature gray Mad Hatter top hat on, feel free to come by and say hi, talk about the show, talk about games, and even, you know, I'll sit down and play a game with you if I have the time, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. That that hasn't really happened a whole lot, but uh, it did here at Gen Con. And um, I also was able to meet a lot of other content creators in, uh, in this industry. So, first night after Thursday on the show floor, we just kind of went out and... Uh, Hit a game night, sat down with some convention goers, played some games, uh, one of which was Red Scare, which is a social deduction game, and it was just terrible. (laughs) It used some, some, like, spy glasses with a red filter on some of the cards, where some of you could see some cards and others could see others, just, yeah, not, not a good time, hard to see, did not work for us, um... That's where we played some Codenames Duet. Uh got into the game with something else, but I can't remember. This was in uh, a game night in the old train station in Indianapolis, which was really cool. There was a fundraiser going on. Um, the lighting wasn't so great, but uh, it was a good time anyway. It was a really interesting place to be playing games. Um, so that was, that was mainly Thursday night, not much going on. But Friday night... I hit up the Rolling Dice and Taking Names Strike Tournament. Uh, It was at one of the bars in one of the hotels, at the Omni Hotel. Um, They were having Marty's Dice in a Bowl versus Tony's Gladiators in an Arena strike competition where players would sign up on one of the two sides, and whichever side was represented by the winner of the tournament that side would be declared like the official definition of the game strike, whether it be dice in a bowl or gladiators in an arena. And gladiators in an arena won, and Marty over at Rolling Dice and Taking Names ended up having to don the squirrel costume at uh, the Dice Tower booth the next day and at the Secret Cabal meetup the next night, and that was really hilarious. I got to meet those guys, talk, chat with them for a while. Also hung out with Rodney Smith, From Watch It Played, really great guy, good to talk to. Actually had opinions on games, which he doesn't generally give in his Watch It Played segments. But you get him off air, and that neutrality can take a backseat to some actual opinion. It was was great talking to Rodney, one of of my favorite conversations of anyone I met out there at Gen Con. That was great. Also chatted with uh, Jamie and Tony from The Secret Cabal, and David Waybright from Man vs. Meeple. Really good guys. Really, really good to talk to about you know the business and the industry and and just you know our what, what we're into in gaming. It was fun. It was a really good time. Everyone was having an awesome awesome time at the Rolling Dice and Taking Names meetup. And uh, I think Marty and Tony were surprised if not shocked at the turnout for uh, for their event. I also met the girls from over at Board Game Blitz, which was really cool. It was fun hanging out and chatting with them and uh yeah so that was that was just a great experience and after that was starting to die down me and uh gil uh, dwarf token on instagram and twitter and everywhere and chris from out there in in york pa over by the cabal guys uh, we went upstairs to the bgg hot games night room it's basically just a, a late night gaming area where you can go in and take something off of their table full of games and sit down and play that was really cool I met up with Rodney and Marty and Tony. They were playing some Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Check that out. Uh, Played some smaller games. Hung out, chatted a little bit with Lance, the undead viking you may know from YouTube, now working with Tasty Minstrel Games. And that was a good time, everybody laughing. A lot of of funny past Gen Con stories. Everyone talking about the crazy things that have happened in, in years past. And uh, we kind of shut down the Hot Games night room and uh, got to bed far too late. Um, The next night was the Secret Cabal meetup, and that was just insane. There were people just filling the street around the Tow Yard Brewery. Um, I met Sean from the Dukes of Dice podcast out there. We hung out outside marveling at this massive line before going in, just standing off to the side and talking about games, talking about the industry, talking about Gen Con. It was his first time there, too. You know, he just just rapped for a bit. was a really cool guy. Good to see, good to talk to. Uh, didn't get to meet up with Alex, the other Duke, but uh, next time, we've already been talking on Twitter... And uh, Alex now working with Gray Fox Games. I'm sure we'll cross paths more in the future. Um, but there was a huge line. I was trying to just go over and like sit down and get some food before their meetup began. But the place was already closed and there, was already about, there were already like 500 people there. And I think they had close to 1,000 people on the night just filling up the tow yard. Um, they did a massive giveaway. They gave away... Piles upon piles of games to a ton of different attendees there They there was actually there were so many people there that it poured out of the Tow Brewery onto the street Where Jamie had to scream out the winning raffle ticket numbers and everybody was basically chanting the numbers to Notify the winner that they had to go in and receive their prize. It was just it was really awesome It was pretty intense So had a good time there, played a lot of games, played more strike there, played Wallamoppy, fantastic little uh, dexterity game, stacking up discs and catching a marble that falls down a bunch of slides before it reaches a hole at the bottom and you make sure you don't knock down the tower of of, uh, discs. Really fun, really intense. Also played Emerson's Crossfire a couple of times there at the tow yard. Uh, I was hanging out with Roy from Epic Gaming Night, and Gary from Late to the Table, and uh, the board game Renegade, again, Gil, Dwarf Token, uh, some other guys. That was a lot of fun. I uh, showed them the sniper mode, and we, we had the hardest time figuring out who was supposed to be shot. I ended up getting shot. I was the VIP. It sucked. I knew who the assassins were. But, uh, actually, the sniper ended up shooting Roy, who was trying to protect me, and that allowed the assassin to kill me. Meh. Sucked. But, that's the game. That's Crossfire. A lot of fun. Super, super quick. And, uh, a lot of legitimate deduction going on there. And just a fantastic game. If you haven't tried out Emerson's, and not just because he's my friend, but if you haven't tried out Emerson's Crossfire, it's, uh, really good, like definitely top tier social deduction game and so fast and just so intense because you get information so you are sure of what's happening at least in the half of the table near you and the stakes are high because the the end of the game is basically just offing one of the one or more of the other players and um, it's just really intense, really fun a lot of arguing a lot of like just trying to, uh, get everyone to believe what you have to say, and I think a really interesting part is that before you start talking, everyone has a little card in front of them with names of characters in the game. Not like Bob or John, but like VIP, agent, assassin, bystander. You you claim to be one of these things officially in front of you on the table, so... You have to do that right off the bat and kind of have a, a bullshit strategy um, <laughs> for the game if you're not going to tell the truth, whereas in other games, you can kind of like sit and listen for a bit. In this one, you kind of have to just put yourself out there and be like, okay, this is my story. I have to stick to it. And it makes it intense for everyone involved. It's just so good. I wholeheartedly recommend Crossfire. Um, so that was a lot of fun. The whole whole Secret Cabal meetup was a ton of fun. Ended up playing some games in the back of the tow yard. There was a big table with a bunch of people playing games. Um, They had a buffet. There were special beers on tap, brewed specifically for the meetup. And uh, everyone had a really good time. Saw a lot of the same people from the previous night out there. Just a lot of laughing. Just a lot of great, great time. Some of the Blue Peg, Pink Peg folks were out there. Um, Just... Everyone was just having a great time, laughing, having fun. It was awesome. Just awesome. Um, So that was the end of Saturday. And I actually left on Sunday. But, I mean, just from Thursday to Saturday night, Gen Con was an amazing, amazing experience. Had a great time. Met a lot of great people. Um, I hope to keep in touch with everyone as much as I can over social media. And uh, I look forward to the next time out there at Gen Con and hopefully next year we'll be hitting up Origins as well and seeing a lot of those same people who go out to uh, all these events and one thing that has to be said for the board gaming community is um, the the real sense of camaraderie among gamers as well as the media and content creators so all these guys who I mentioned all really great stand-up guys. Definitely worth listening to. Any of their podcasts: the Secret Cabal podcast, the Rolling Dice and Taking Names podcast, uh, Board Game Blitz, uh, Late to the Table. Any of their video channels. Obviously, Watch It Played, Blue Peg, Pink Peg, um, The Dukes of Dice. All great people who definitely deserve an audience, and you know the the content they put out is also very high quality. So, I guess that does it. That's that's Gen Con in a nutshell. I kind of went a little fast through everything, but I wanted to get it all in and not leave you sitting here for hours on end listening to every little thing that I did. But, um, super cool. A lot of fun. Can't wait to go next time. And I met a ton of great people, made good friends, and saw just amazing stuff that's coming out of this industry. Really just awesome. Absolutely awesome. I am... 100% on board with next year. And I'm already looking into going to PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia on November 25th this year. So that's something to look forward to as well. That's it. That's episode 76 of the Gamer Node show. Thanks for listening, guys and gals. Uh, I'm Eddie Inzotto, and I can't wait to talk to you next time. I'm excited. So... Until then, have fun out there.